excited to be here today because I know I know God will meet us here and um, I want him to I want to, him to do something in my life here today personally amen I've been uh, pushing through I keep keep going back to that that sermon that brother Scott Graham preached on the accomplishment is the days and uh, some some of us, if not most of us, are doing our best to get through the day. Doing our best to hold on to what we know is true, even though we are blindsided by lies, deception all around us. So the accomplishment, it's truly getting through the day and holding on to my faith. Holding on to my confidence and my hope in Him. Because it's not an easy road. It's not an easy road living for the Lord. There are things that God expects us to do, and, uh, and that's trust Him. Have confidence in His Word. And that doesn't come naturally for us. It's not a natural thing for us to say, you know what, I trust you, Lord, in everything that you, you say and do, I'll trust you and all. No, it's, it's, it's a road where we're like, God, but I don't know how this is going to work out. But it's, but it's a process of me learning how to depend on Him, learning how to lean on Him, learning how to trust Him. And today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get through this day and hear His Word, be encouraged by His Word, but also know where we fall short and with His Word, where we struggle to believe His Word, where we struggle to understand. God's not, He's not a God who is afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our our insecurities, but what He wants us to do is surrender them. We're going to surrender today. So today, I'm going to do my best to get through trusting in the Lord, but I'm going to do my best to surrender what He will show me. And I can guarantee you today, God's going to show you something about yourself because He's very personal. He gets right where we live. Begins to deal with us about things. Don't, don't, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally, but surrender to it. And let God take something from you today that doesn't belong. Amen. I've asked my wife to teach today, and so I want her to go ahead and come. Everybody say, God bless Sister Pearson. Praise the Lord, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm definitely glad I'm not outside in this nasty weather. And I hope that we, uh, hope that we don't uh, get hell and all this other kind of stuff. Maybe that already passed through. I don't know. I've not been keeping my eye on the weather. Brother Kay had to inform me this morning that things were going to be bad. So, But hopefully uh, we stay dry and safe in here. Amen. Amen. God is good. Now, we did have a couple of birthdays, and I was looking around to see if they were here, and I did not see them. So we'll hopefully, if, if they, if one or two of them comes in, we'll grab them and we'll sing to them later on. But today, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about an interesting, well, I wouldn't call it an interesting subject. This is not going to be anything revelation. This is, this is just some nuts and bolts today of some of the things that cause us to stumble in our walk with God. And one of those things 
deals with finding God's will. Now, I don't know, uh, my story is that I grew up in the church and I always wanted to live for God my whole life. And so as a young person, as a teenager, I would just lay in the altar and beg and plead, God, show me your will. Okay, did anybody else do that? Anybody else just crying, come on, God, show me what your will is for my life, right? That was a big deal, like, you know, we were searching for it, and and like it was a great mystery. What I want to teach us today is a little more of what the Bible actually says about what God's will for us is, because God does have a will for us. He does have, and there comes one of our birthdays, we're going to have to sing to him later. Brother Ed, I was going to get you. (laughs) Here you come. But... Finding God's will. What is God's will for my life? That is just the burning question of every young person, every young adult. What does God want me to do? All right, I'm going to tell you this up front. I don't think that God ever hides the next step from us. When it's his time to tell us the next step that we need to take, if we're listening for him, If we're in the word, if we're in prayer, he's not going to let you take the wrong step. Now, if you're not in the word and you're not in prayer and you're walking your own way, you're probably not in God's will. Does that make sense? But there's this fear that I think, especially in young people, I find that they're so afraid. What if I get out of God's will for my life? Listen. If, you're li- if you are dedicating your life to God and you're saying, God, show me, teach me, I'm listening for you, and you're listening for what he's saying to you, he's not going to let you take a wrong step. We can trust him. He's not going to let us take a wrong move. But now our problem is usually not that we're listening. It's that we're not listening. Amen? Sometimes our problem is that we're not listening for God's will. We're not watching all of the signs that he's putting in front of us. We're not getting our nose in the book, right? We're not spending time in prayer. And you know what? We can about guarantee if we're not looking for God's will here on our knees, listening for him, listening to the preached word, if we're not doing those things, then the path that we're walking is probably our own path. And your own path is definitely not the will of God. All right, so we're going to clear that up real quick. Now, sometimes we wish God would just download an itinerary to us of what our life is going to look like. He won't do that. Now, he'll let you know what to do. You hear what I'm saying? He'll give you the next step, but we're not walking by faith if God downloads just a bullet point. Here's what the next 10 years are going to look like. You're going to do A, B, C, and D, and right. We want that, Don't we want that? Who over plans on vacation? Listen, I will plan every single minute of a vacation. We can't not be having fun for any time. We have to be having fun for the whole time, and I will plan every single minute. I'll wear people out. Amen, Pastor? (laughs) I mean, I'll just like, we've got to do this, and we can fit this in, we can fit this in, we can fit this in, right? But God does not give us that for our lives. So we do need to know his will, and we do need to search after his will. But his word also makes it very clear that this is a walk of faith and that there are some things specifically to his will. Now, I believe it is our misconception of what God's will is that leads to us being discontented, frustrated, even angry, and discouraged. 
I'm going to say that again. I believe that our misconception of what God's will is leads us to being discontented, frustrated, angry, and discouraged. So we get there because we don't understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, my first scripture today is a scripture that comes to us by way of Bible quizzing. Like I told you, I spent a lot of time just rehearsing these scriptures over and over again. And we had this little song app that the kids would use that would help them learn the word of God. And it was so helpful and so powerful. But we would just go around the house all day singing songs from scripture. I love that, right? You're just singing the word of God all the time. And so one of them that really got stuck in my mind was Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. And it said, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And it was like an earworm. It just stuck in my head. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so what happens, you get a song like that stuck in your head, you begin to meditate on the word of God. Meditate on it. Think about it. Process it. Okay, so what does it mean to really understand what the will of the Lord is? Wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, this tells me two things. One, we can misunderstand what the will of the Lord is. And not just in a way that we misunderstand God's will for our life. We can misunderstand what it is, what it is to know God's will. We can misunderstand that. Now, y'all feel like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what God's will is, and I got a great understanding. And Well, if you don't, I hope that I'm going to give you something today that you can take with you that will help you understand better what the will of the Lord is. Because when we don't understand what the will of the Lord is, we're unwise. So that leads us to living in foolishness, doesn't it? We're going to make foolish decisions because if you're not wise, you are foolish, right? If you're not wise, you're ignorant. If you're not wise, you're unlearned, right? We want to be wise. I, I want to be a wise child of God. I want to be walking in wisdom. I want to be living in wise counsel. I want to be taking every step with his wisdom. And if I don't understand what the will of the Lord is, I can't do that. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, first, I'm going to talk about what is not the will of the Lord. What is not the will of God? Now, you may think, well, this is pretty apparent, but we're going to talk about it, and you're going to realize, oops, maybe I've confused some of these things for God's will when they're not. Now, the first thing I'm going to tell you is that God's will is not your will. This is the number one place I think that we go wrong. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. I mean, and listen, he, I want you to understand, he prayed this prayer after he had fasted 40 days in the wilderness, after he'd spent three years in ministry on earth, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. I mean, creating eyeballs to put in people's eyes. You know what I'm like? He had done all the things. He had done all the things. And he gets to the very end of the garden of Gethsemane. And what does he pray? Not my will but your will. He still knew this is it right here. This is the battle that I've got to win is it can't be my will. It has to be his will. I've got to lay down my will 
for his will. Now, I'm not going to get into all the oneness. I'd love to, I would love to talk about that today, how, how we understand Jesus' prayer in light of him being God himself, right? I'm not going to talk about that today. We'll save that for another time because I'd spend the whole time talking about that. We'll move on from that. But our will, not my will. Now, relinquish, relinquishing our own will is difficult. It is hard because guess what? I know every single one of y'all are just like me. And you know what you want to do? You want to do your own thing. You want to do it your own way. You want to do it when you feel like doing it. Can I get an amen? I mean, there's not one of you that says, boy, I hope I wake up today and I don't get to do a single thing I want to do. And I hope I've got to do all this for other people that I don't want to do. And I hope nothing goes my way today. That's not a one of you would say that because we all want things to go our way. We want things to be done our way and our will. And this is the way I want it, right? And we live in a society that encourages that. That encourages us to go after our own will constantly. The culture preaches, do it your way, right? The culture says, you wake up and feel like you're one way. Well, that's the way you are, right? That's our will. That, uh, that's our will. Often we want God to fit into our own plans and dreams. And this even, this even dictates the way that we understand Scripture sometimes. Have you ever heard somebody tell you when you say, well, I just want... I just want a house on the hill, and I just want, you know, well, these are the things that I want, and I want to marry a man who doesn't love. Okay, all right. Maybe y'all didn't have those conversations with people, but I did. And then somebody would inevitably say, well, you know, the word says, delight yourself in the law of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, okay? They're quoting that out of context because you know what that scripture really means? That scripture really means if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you desires. He will give he will change the desires of your heart. This isn't a checklist that we take and we sit on Santa's lap. And we say, if I be really good, can I get A, B, C, and D? Now, some people treat Jesus like he's Santa Claus. And he's not. He's not. Because what he wants is for you to delight yourself in him. And then he puts in you desires that please him. But we really desperately want to give God our dream and say, this is my list. This is what I want. I invite you to make it happen and, um, and leave it at that. And that's not praying his will. That's praying our will. And the Bible says that when we don't pray his will, we pray amiss. We can lay in the altar for hours praying for our own will. And we're wrong when we do that. We can't do that. That's not the word. The word says that we have to pray according to his will. When Jesus taught them to pray, he said, pray this way. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. You got to start out in prayer knowing that it's got to be God's will and not my will. And now that's painful because guess what? My dreams and my list may not happen. When I submit to God's will, I'm really submitting, and I'm not submitting conditionally saying, okay, God, I'm going to live for you as long as I get all the things that I want on my list. Now, I'll be real with you. There's a lot of people mad at God right now because he hasn't given them their list. There's a whole lot of people that are mad at God. Well, I served him, and he didn't give me this. Or I served him, and he let this happen to me. And they're mad at God. And you know why? Because they don't understand what the will of the Lord is. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And it's not your will. All right? Number two, God's will is not about our happiness. Now, 
There are people who think, well, God wants me to be happy. Now, I want to approach this carefully because I don't want you to think that God wants you to be sad, that he wants you to be downtrodden, right? But what I'm saying is his ultimate concern is not actually your happiness. Happiness and joy is a byproduct of us living according to his will. You understand what I'm saying? But the goal is not happiness. It's holiness, right? God's goal for you is for you to be holy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But this world wants you to think as long as you're happy, that's all that matters. That's not all that matters. No, in fact, if you're chasing your own happiness, you're probably chasing your own sinful ways. You're probably chasing after your flesh. You're probably chasing after the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all those things. That's what you're chasing after. If your goal is your own happiness, you inevitably end up very unhappy. But the world will push you right down that path. Now, I'm going to tell you a story on myself, okay? And I, I laugh at this. It is so comical to me that I ever said this. There has been a time in my life, I was probably about 20, 21 years old when this happened. And I remember, I, I can picture it. I was getting ready for church, standing in the bathroom, fixing my hair. And I heard the voice of God speak to me almost audibly as loud as he's ever spoken in my head, I heard him speak to me. But it's comical because I don't know if, if I had my eye on some guy or something. I don't, know. I don't know what brought it about. But I'm having a conversation in my head, and here's what I said to myself. I said, well, God wouldn't want me to marry a preacher if that's not what I want to do. Now, I... That is the most comical statement now, looking back on it. But it made perfect sense in my head. Well, if I don't want to do it, God's not going to make me do it. Honey, listen, God's probably going to make you do it. If you don't want to do it, it's probably going to happen. You know, because it's not our will, but his will. And what seems in the moment that would make us happy momentarily, he's not concerned with that. He has a different goal for us. And I can trust you. You can believe me on this. His goal for us will make us happy and joyful, okay? There's going to be seasons of joy because that's the fruit of the Spirit. But it's not going after what makes us happy. So I said, well, God wouldn't want me. I don't know why. I must have liked somebody who wasn't a preacher. It must have been the thing. And I'm justifying to myself that maybe this is a good option to look at. That's probably what was happening. I don't remember the specific person. I just remember standing there. I can see it. I'm fixing my hair. I say that. And here's what God said to me. As loud as I have ever heard his voice, he said, who are you to decide what I do with the life you gave to me? Whoo! I almost just like fell on the floor like, ouch, Wow. Who am I to decide? If I really am submitted to God's will, if I really gave my life to him, I don't, I don't get to decide. He decides. He decides. I mean, I, um, I remember it as clear as day, and I just practically crumpled. Like, I really thought that I would decide. I really thought that God would be like, okay, girl, whatever makes you happy. And sometimes we think that Jesus is like that. We think that he's like, sure, honey, whatever makes you happy, you go do it. That's not God. 
That's not how he does things. That's not how his word portrays him. And that's not the way he operates. That's not the way his will is. We've got to submit ourselves completely to his will. And that means we've got to say, hey, this might not be what makes me happy right now, but I want to please God. I want to please God. I want to be holy. I'm not worried about my momentary happiness on this earth. Listen, I'm going to be happy for a long time later on if I can just serve the Lord. Everybody will be happy over there. Amen. Amen. So I said God's will is not our will. The number two thing, God, God's will is not concerned with our happiness. And the number three thing here that I want to mention, and there's other things you could mention, but I felt like these were the big ones. God's will is not concerned with our comfort. Who we really like to be comfortable we love to be comfortable. I love it as much as anybody else does. Look, don't mess with me. I'm on the couch right now. You know, I mean, like I'm curled up in a blanket. The, the dog is laying right beside me. Don't ask me for nothing, you know, because I'm comfortable, right? We want our whole lives to be comfortable. And we are, we've almost made an idol out of our own comfort. We've made an idol out of it. And the minute we begin to suffer or experience pain, physical, emotional, mental, we think something is wrong when, in fact, we're often exactly where God wants us. That's a hard truth to swallow. I know it is that sometimes suffering is exactly where God wants us to be. And it's not because he thinks unkind thoughts toward us. It's not because he wants bad things to happen to us. It's not, it's not that at all. It's that his will for us is something different than our comfort. And so suffering oftentimes helps to bring about God's will in our lives. Now, I know there are times that we suffer at our own hand. Anybody ever just had to reap the harvest of the seeds you sowed? Like, I can't complain that there's corn growing out here because you know what I planted? Corn. That's what I planted. And I can't complain that what I'm reaping right now is heartache, right? Because I planted that. I can't complain because of what's coming up. But here's, here's what's so beautiful about how Jesus works. And I've seen him. I've seen him do it. Seen it with my own eyes. I've seen him do it. He can take the worst of our mistakes and still use those things to bring about his will. Now, who can do that but God? We can't do that. We can't turn something beautiful out of the mess that we've made. We can't do that. But God can. God can. And he will if we submit ourselves to his will. He can and he will. It is his desire to give us good things. It is his desire to give us the kingdom. It is his desire that we be successful and prosperous, but not by our definitions, by his. He defines what that is. And so, yes, we are unwise when we don't understand that the will of God is not about my comfort, it's not about my happiness, and it's not about my list of things that I want. That's not what God's will is about. Now, God's will, first of all, it, I think that we can all agree, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, is that we be saved, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men, some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that everybody come. He wants everybody to come. He wants you to be saved. 
It's number one, his will that you be saved. And then that after you be saved, you turn around and you help others be saved. So I want to establish, first of all, yes, it's his will that you be saved. And it's his will that you be a witness. He gave us a great commission. Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. These are things that we're supposed to be doing. So he wants you to be saved, but not just for yourself. He wants you to be saved to also turn around and give that to other people. So those two things are definitely part of his will. And those two things alone should have an incredible impact on every decision that we make. All right, think about it this way. This new job or this new possession or this new uh, moving to this new place or whatever, is this going to help me stay saved? Right? Can I, can I do this and, and be encouraged in my walk with God? Or is this going to pull me down? Right? Every decision, we need to weigh it out. Is this going to threaten my salvation? Am I going to have to miss a bunch of church and, and just be down and, you know, down on the bottom and discouraged. If that's going to happen, hey, maybe I need to make a different decision because God's will for me is to be saved, right? And can I go there and be a witness? Is this a place that I can talk about Jesus, all right? Or am I going to be so discouraged and overwhelmed that I won't even, nobody will even know I live for God? Those are things that we need to think about when we're making the decisions that we make. Can I make this choice and still stay in God's will? Because I have to stay in God's will. I do believe, though, that God's will goes beyond even those things. As great as those things are, obviously, salvation, that's the number one reason we're here, and, and telling other people about it, well, that would be number two, I would think. There are even other things that we need to consider. And I really got to thinking about this. This was such a beautiful revelation when I was at district camp meeting and I heard Philip Harrelson teach, and he was here la it was last year in May, right, that he was here. And just beautiful teaching. Y'all remember Brother Harrelson and just an incredible way of teaching the Word of God. And he was teaching at District Camp Meeting. You can go to their app. You can, you can download the or listen to them, stream them, however it works. You can listen to his teaching. And he taught on Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And I think it was Friday that he began to go through. If you read Psalm 119, um, you know that the psalmist, whoever did write it, talks about he'll talk about the law of the lord and then the testaments of the lord and then the statutes of the lord and then he'll talk about um, the word of the lord and the commandments of the lord he uses all of these different words now in my understanding i've always thought well he's basically using all of these different synonyms for god's word right and you'll see it throughout there's 176 verses and i think that god's word in some form either commandment statute testimony um, law, word, I'm leaving one out. Something's left out, and I can't think of what it is, but that's okay. We'll move on. Um, they're mentioned in every verse except for three, I think. So you see this repetition over and over again, but what he, he said something that was so beautiful. He went through the list of those words, and he talked about what that word was indicative of in particular. For example, the law of the Lord. Oh, there's so many verses in Proverbs and in Psalms that talk about the law of the Lord. And he said, when it says the law of the Lord, this is really indicative of God's will. God's will. And for example, his ways. That was another one. When it talks about his ways, this is indicative of God's patterns. The patterns of how he operates, right? It talks about his precepts. This is indicative of God's plans. So he went through it. It was beautiful, the understanding that he brought to that. But that got my mind turning. 
and turning. And then I went back to a verse in Psalm 19 that I've been praying God would give me more understanding for. Because listen, we've got to keep praying that God gives us more understanding. Amen. None of us have it all figured out. Now, we may know the truth. I mean, the truth of God is clear, the doctrine, right, of who God is and how to be saved, right? Those things are, are pretty clear. But as we keep reading, God is going to continue to reveal more and more and more unto us. And we've got to be open to that. So I, I get verses that I don't quite understand, and I say, Lord, help me understand. And it never fails. Someone will come along and will talk about that verse. And I'll be like, ah, that's what I, was, that's what I needed. That was the nugget that I needed to give me understanding. And this is one of those times. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now I want to focus on that first phrase. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So what Brother Harrelson said is that the law of the Lord, this indicates the will of the Lord. So let's read it this way. The will of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, when I read that before as the law of the Lord, and I think about the law that was given in Leviticus and all these things that they did, the law that was handed to Moses and all that, I don't think of that law being perfect in the sense that, guess what? They could break the law. They could break the law. And and we're taught that the law was later on, Jesus came to complete it. it. It was incomplete. In the form that it was, it was incomplete. So when you say the law of the Lord is perfect, I I could not get my head wrapped around where does that fit in, and especially the phrase converting the soul. But when I read the will of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, here's what God's will for us is perfect. It is perfect. Now, we pull out all the time, don't we? We go astray, and we don't line up the way we should line up. But his will for us is perfect, but this is my favorite part. It's in the process of converting us. God's will is for you to be converted. God's will is not that you stay the person that you are right now. That's not his will. Now, again, this is counterculture. This is so counterculture because culture says you're fine exactly the way you are right now. All right? But God's will says, no, I have a better you. There's a better you that you can become. I have something else for you to be. All right? Now, this, hey, this is a hard truth because the the hard truth that we have to swallow is I'm not okay the way I am. Our pride doesn't want to hear that right? Because we want to be fine just the way they are. I mean, my goodness, can you get much better? You know, like that's the attitude we want to have, right? But but that's, that's not the attitude we need to have to be submitted to God's will. It says, Hey, there's work for me to do. I've got work to do. I can be who God wants me to be. Now coming to this understanding, this means that we have to be something. I heard this the other day. We have to be something called sober minded. Now, when the Bible talks about being sober, a lot of times it is talking about the effects of alcohol and the effects of of substances and other things like that. But sometimes when it's talking about being sober-minded, it's talking about taking a look at reality. Let's be real about where we are and who we are. If we can't be real about where we are and who we are, then God can't help us move to who we need to be. Amen? I know that's a hard word today, but we've got to be honest. Hey, I've messed this up. I'm doing this wrong. I can get a lot better at this. Wow, this right here is really my weakness. And say, God, help me. Mold me to your will. 
the person that you want to be. I don't want to stay the person that I am. I want to become who you want me to be. So being sober-minded is what's the reality of my situation? What's the reality of, of how I'm behaving? What's the reality of who I am? And then what his will wants to do is convert us. Now, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. This is what Jesus says to Peter. He's, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And then he says, but I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, this conversation is right before Jesus is about to be crucified. So this is not just when Simon first started hanging around. He's been a disciple for a while. But guess what? He's not been converted yet. He wasn't there yet. And Jesus is saying, hey, when you're converted, you're going to be a different person. And when you're a different person, then I want you to turn around and strengthen your brethren. But until you get to be that person, you're not going to have what you need to give them. Right? So we've got to submit to God's will and let him convert us. Let him change us from who we are to become who he wants us to be. All right? So that we can strengthen the brethren. So that we can do, maybe he does have a list of things that he wants us to do. He's not going to probably give it all to you in one list. You're probably just going to have to wait step by step. But when he does give that to you, you're going to be ready because you've been converted. Right? I want to be converted. God, convert me. Transform me. Don't let me stay the same person that I am. I want to be the person that you want me to be. And it's not a one and done kind of situation. We've got to keep going back. Amen. We got to keep going back and keep seeking it. God, you're not done with me yet. Please cleanse me, purge me, transform me, Lord God, because I want to be who you want me to be. So let's talk about this process of conversion. And here's where I'm going to give you more of a list. We talked about God's will is not our will. We talked about it's not for our happiness and it's not for our comfort. So what is the will? of God. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, okay, that ye should abstain from fornication. Let's read verse 4. Did I give it? Yeah, I gave it. Yeah. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Let's talk about that word sanctification. Sanctification. So, you know, we start with salvation, right? Yay. We're born of the water, born of the spirit. Hallelujah. God has filled us with the Holy Ghost and we're done, right? No, we're not done. We're not done. We just started actually. That's actually step one. We got on the game board. Okay. We're in it now. We're in the, we can see the kingdom of God, you know, because John chapter three says, if you haven't been born of the water and the spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And we wonder why it doesn't make sense to people around us. Well, they can't even see it because you have to be born of the water and the spirit to even step foot in it and even see it. Okay, now we can see it. Now we've entered it. John 3 says, enter and see. We've entered it and we can see it. We're like, wow, there's a whole other kingdom that I had no idea even existed. There's a whole other way of thinking. There's a whole other way of living. There's a whole other way of existing, right? I belong to another, another world. I'm not of this world anymore. Like there's a whole other kingdom. But that's step one. Step one. What happens then? We've got to go through a process of sanctification. Now, sanctification is where we are made holy. And this is where holiness comes. Now, listen. 
when we're holy on the inside, yes, it will see evidence of it on the outside. But I want you to understand, you don't make the outside holy. You make the inside holy. The inside has to be holy. This is what the Pharisees had wrong. The outside looked good, but the inside was full of dead man's bones. And when Jesus came preaching the truth, they didn't want to have nothing to do with it because it meant they really had to deal with the inside. And they didn't want to do that. Let us be. Let's just live the way we've been living. Don't preach that to us, right? That's what they wanted because they didn't want real holiness. Real holiness. Not just looking the part, not just fooling everybody around you, but real holiness on the inside. That's what sanctification is. Now, I want to say this. I read this the other day, and it just really, wow, it got me thinking. Holiness isn't necessarily a moral position. Okay, now, when we're holy, we do have good morals. Okay, so hear what I'm saying. But holiness by itself isn't necessarily a moral position, and let me show you what I mean. There were vessels, there were plates, there were cups and things in the temple that were consecrated for God's use. They were holy. But guess what? A plate doesn't think. A cup, it doesn't have any morality. The reason it was holy is that it was set apart for God. Now, let's think about our lives like that because we're like, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm holy, I guess. That's not what it's about. The cup is holy because it was set apart for his use. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not just enough to say, well, I'm going to check the list of things I don't do and that makes me holy. No, I'm set apart for his purpose. Am I set apart for his use? Because that's what makes me holy. That's what makes me consecrated. It's not that I look the part. It's not that I say the right things. It's not that I've not killed anybody today, thank God. It's not that I've not done those things. You know what I'm saying? We want, we want it to be a list of moral things. But holiness is being set apart to him. Now, there's also people that want holiness to just be separate from the world. Oh, if I'm just not like the world, then I don't have to be separate under God. No, you have to be separate unto God. That means we walk like him. We talk like him. We think like him, right? His will is evident in our lives. It's not enough just to be moral. It's not enough just to be separate from the world, but you've got to be separated unto God. And that's what God's will is for us, is that we be sanctified. Now, this passage of Scripture gives you, and go back to verse 3 for me. It says, even for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's God's will. And then he gives us a practical example that you should abstain from fornication. So if you ever had a question about that, well, there's the word of God right there that if we want to be sanctified, we've got to remain sexually pure in our thoughts, right, in our actions. He gives you a practical example, but go to verse four, because then he goes back to the general, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. It's God's will for us that every one of us know how to conduct ourselves as a vessel of God, right? Every one of you should know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Holiness is God's will for you. So when you're up here praying, God, show me your will. And what you really want to know is, okay, what's the next five years going to look like? God is saying, let me show you my will. I want you to be holy. You be holy. You let me sanctify you. You let me clean you up. You let me get in and rearrange your thoughts, right? You let me get in and let the word of God get in and redo things and then see what doors I open up for you right? And then see what opportunities come your way. When you let my word get in there 
and wash you and teach you and cleanse you. And this is what we said earlier. God's will is not our happiness because it's holiness. I read a book one time. It was a marriage book. It was called Sacred Marriage. And it was just at that time such a revolutionary thought to me. He said, what if God's not concerned with your happiness but just with your holiness? What if the goal for your marriage, because listen, people walking out of marriages all the time because, well, she didn't make me happy. He didn't make me happy. Well, don't tell that to God, okay? Because he's like, I'm not worried about your happiness. I want you to be holy. You go after holiness, happiness will come. You go after holiness, and there's going to be joy in your life, right? But people walking out of these things all the time because we live in a culture that the moment something doesn't make them happy, they're gone. The moment something makes me mad, you ruffle my feathers, you offend me, I'm out the door, right? But that's not God's will for us. God's will for us is that we learn to be holy before him. He said, be ye holy for I am holy, right? He wants us to become that reflection of him. And so we've got to learn to be holy. And we got to understand that our happiness might have to be sacrificed along the way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, I love how Paul does this is because he doesn't just say it's the will of God in Christ Jesus. He adds concerning you, unless you think, oh, well, this is just for the whole church and I don't need to take it personally. No, you do need to take it personally. Concerning you, concerning you, In everything, give thanks. Now, God's will is for us to be thankful. Now, I've heard people say that, well, this verse says in everything, give thanks. So even when I'm in a bad situation, I don't have to thank God for that situation. I just need to be thankful for everything else that he's done for me. But what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, he says it a little differently. Giving thanks always for all things. Now, this is hard. Because, hey, I don't know about y'all, but I've walked through some rough roads. I said goodbye to some family members that I just thought God was going to heal in a different way. Right? God doesn't always answer my prayers the way, he, the way I want him to answer them. But in all things, give thanks. Giving thanks always for all things. So what does this mean? I give thanks to God for every storm. I give thanks to God for every valley. I give thanks to God for every dark night. I give thanks to God for every, every trial, every lost job, every time that your van breaks down right in the middle of an intersection in Lexington. You know what I'm saying? You give thanks to God for all of it. You give thanks to God for all of it. Here's why. Thankfulness is really a posture of complete faith and trust in God. Our capacity to be thankful is really a measurement of our capacity to trust God. Let me show you what what I mean by that. When I'm in the middle of the darkest time of my life and I say, thank you, God. Thank you for this situation. Thank you for this trial that I'm in. Because I trust you, God. And I know you're, you're doing something in me. And I know that you think good for me. I know that you have plans for me. And I know you're going to take me to those plans. 
Now, when I don't trust God, I'm looking around frantic, like, how am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? Anybody been there? I've been there. When you're not trusting God in this situation, you're not thankful. What is there to be thankful for? But when you trust God and you know that he has you in the palm of his hand, then you're like, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. But I do know that this loss of this family member, I know that it's for your glory. And so I thank you for it. This bad report that I got, I don't know how you're going to turn that for good, but I know you are. I trust you. And so I thank you for it. That's the will of God. When we get to the place where we say, God, I don't understand, but I thank you. I thank you for it because I can trust you. God, I can trust you with all of it. Romans 8, 28, we quote this all the time, but it's harder to live it. And we know that all things work together for good. Now, people like to quote the first part, okay? But you, it, this, this is Paul declaring something that also has some conditions with it. I want you to understand that. We know that all things work together for good to them that what? Love God. So first I have to love God. And to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, this is people who have put themselves in God's will. You see that? They're the called according to his purpose. They've put themselves in God's hand. And so, you know what? All things, the bad, the grief, the worst of it, right? The suffering, the pain, all of it works together for good because we can trust him. If we've put our lives in his hand, we can trust him. Now, I know that that's pretty words, right? And living it out day by day is much harder. But we can trust him. And when we do trust him, everything becomes thanksgiving. Thank you, God. I don't know what you're doing, but I thank you, God. I don't see it, but I thank you. You've kept me. You're leading me. You're carrying me. Your favor is going before me. I may not see your hand at work, but I know that it's working for my good. So I thank you. I thank you. Hebrews eleven six. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, what this verse is saying is that if you're going to come to God, first you have to believe in God. You have to believe in him first. You believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, what this talks about is God's character. You've got to believe something about his character. And here's what you've got to believe. You've got to believe that he's a good God, that when you go after him, he meets you and rewards you. Now, there's a lot of people who believe in God, but they don't believe he's good because they're mad at him. They think he's, an evil, he, he's, he's a mean God. He did this to me, right? He, he, he didn't save the person I wanted to be saved or he let this. I know this is heavy. I know this is heavy today, but there are people who are hung up. They don't know why they can't get through to God. And this is the reason why they believe in him, but they don't believe he's good. You have to believe that he's good. You have to believe that he has your good in mind. And if you don't believe that, 
You've pulled yourself away from him. Because when you come to God, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And when we believe God is good, we trust him. And that's where our thankfulness flows from. I trust him. I know he's going to somehow turn this for my good. I don't see. I know he's going to teach me something through this. Oh, it's painful. Oh, it's hard. And I don't understand his ways, but his ways are higher. And I trust him. I trust him. I trust him that he will take this. Now, I don't want you to hear me as if I'm saying that everything that happens to you, God determined that it would happen. Because you know what? There's a lot of things that happen in our lives that happen because of sin. The fall. Hey, people make bad decisions, and God's love for them means he doesn't stop them. And we suffer sometimes as the result of other people's decisions, right? And so, but what we can know is when I am in God's will, guess what? Even though that person's sin impacted my life, I'm in God's hand. He's going to take care of me, right? I can trust him to do what concerns me. There's a passage, and I didn't give you this, brother. It's in Psalms. I think it's 131, 131 verse 8 maybe. It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. When I'm in God's hand, I know that no matter what dark path I go down, he's going to take care of me. So that second thing is, God's will is for us to be thankful. And our thankfulness really does become a measurement of how much we trust him. The last thing is God's will for us is to be filled with the spirit. And I want to go back to our original passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then in this next verse, he gives us an example, a practical example. He says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now, he gives us the general example, be not unwise, understand what the will of the Lord is. Then he gives us something practical, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The condition that we need to be living in in God's will is filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to break that down for you, what I think it means. Obviously, we're filled with his Spirit. We're walking in his Spirit. We're hearing him give us commands, but sometimes we're filled with other things. Sometimes we're filled with the comfort of, the life, of our life. We're filled with the entertainment of everything around us, right? We're filled with distractions. We're filled with our wants and desires. We've got our will so heavily in our focus that we're filled with that. We're filled with, oh, well, this is what I want. I want to do this, and I've got all this ambition, and I'm going to, you know, fulfill my dreams. And we become filled with those things. Right? If you talk to people before that, that all they had was a one-track mind, they were just filled with one thing, and you could tell what it was. Well, we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, right? We're not supposed to be full of all the things of this life, the cares of this world, the, the goals of this world, the dreams of this world. We're not supposed to be filled with that. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, guess what? He, God will speak. When we're filled with the Spirit and we've got our ear turned to Him, He'll be like, okay, here's where I want you to go today. And here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to use you to talk to somebody today. And you're going to minister to this person today. And, and those are the things that happen. Brother Anthony Mangan, he talks about he goes to the church every morning and he prays for an hour or however long he prays. And then he says, okay, God, where do you want me to go eat breakfast? Now, that may seem comical to some people. But he says, I know there's somebody out there in this community that God wants me to minister to, and I need to be in the right place to do it. So, okay, God, where do you want me to go eat? 
tell me where to go. God tells him where to go, and he goes, right? But that's when we're filled with the Spirit. We're not out making all these decisions just on our own, right? We're making decisions guided and led by the Spirit. We let him lead us in every single decision, in everything that we do, and that is God's will for our lives. It's that we be holy. It's that we be thankful, and it's that we be filled with his Spirit. Because then he'll tell us every single step. We won't be wandering in the dark thinking, I wish I knew God's will for my life. We'll know it because we're filled with his spirit. He's speaking to us constantly, filled with his spirit. I hope this has been a blessing to you today, giving you some things to chew on, some things to think about, about what God's will is for your life. Why don't we stand all together here? We're going to say a quick prayer and then give you a chance to take a break. I want to pray that God's will would be accomplished in your life. His will for you to be holy. His will for you to be filled with his spirit. His will to accomplish the work in you that you would be thankful, that you would trust him, that whatever you're going through today, that you would see God's hand at work in your life through it. Let's raise our hands and pray to him. Jesus, I thank you so much because you're a good and a faithful God and we can trust you, God. We can depend on you. We can lean on you without fail. You've never let us down. You've never failed, God. And we can trust in your will. We can trust in your hand and know that you're working, Lord God. I pray that your will would be accomplished in every person here today. Lord, that they would feel your hand at work, that they would have peace and know that you are working in every circumstance and in every situation. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't you shake hands and be friendly, um, and we'll come back here in just a few minutes and worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, I wonder if we could just start off today with praise. Let's enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Actually, we're going to pause this for a moment. Hold that thought. We're going to sing happy birthday to Brother Ed. of the Lord into our into our situations into our life God we have come here together with one mind one accord and our desire is for you to accomplish your will and purpose we pray oh Lord that there would be there would be a shout a cry from your people that they would they would begin to worship in spirit and truth, that they would begin to recognize how much they are in need of your presence, of your of your touch, of your instruction, God. We are empty and helpless and hopeless without you, Lord. 
And we have dedicated this moment to, to worship in you and to listen in for your voice and listen in for your counsel. God, we pray that you move in every situation that's represented here today. We pray that you move in a special way, unique to our situation, unique to our needs, Lord. As we put our confidence, we place our trust in you, Lord. Would you show up in a special way, in a powerful way, like only you can. God, we need you. We need you this very moment. And so we're going to praise you. We're going to lift up your name. We're going to pour out praises to the one who is able to save us, to the one who's able to deliver us. And that's you, God. You're our hope, our help. It's in you, Lord. And so we're going to we're going to be free in our worship and we're going to be free in our praise. We're going to be free in the demonstration of our thankfulness and our love for you, God, because you made a way. You made a way for me. You're making a way right now. You're making a way right now for my family. You're making a way right now for this assembly. You're making a way right now for Winchester. You're making a way right now for those who are bound, for those who are afflicted. You're making a way. So I'm going to praise your holy name. Come on, church. Let's sing praises. Let's magnify his name. Let's give God everything that we have today.
loose another one. I want hell to loose another one today. I want God to bring freedom into somebody's life. And I want hell to lose someone here today. Hell lost another one. And hell's going to keep losing. Why? Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. gates of hell shall not prevail. It cannot prosper. Yeah. I believe the Lord wants to do something right here today in this moment that we have assembled. Moment that we have assembled together for God to do His will, His purpose. You have an illness in your body, disease. You have a situation that you're facing right now, whatever it is. It's not too big or too small for the Lord to move and to do something supernatural. When God responds, when God responds, it's because there's faith. God responds to faith. He responds to the cry that says, I believe you can do it, God, and I'm that's why I'm that's why I'm walking up. That's why I'm approaching you because I believe. Because I believe you can do it. I believe that you're going to do it. And whatever it is, if you'll come right now, believe in God to touch your body, to touch your mind. Church, if you can, if you come down here and show up with prayer, worship. Let's war for our brothers and sisters tonight. Amen. Let's believe God for his miracle working power today.
everything. Amen. Sing with the choir.
magnify the Lord for every valley that's raised up and every mountain that must every mountain that must power hallelujah come on let's worship the Lord let's continue this let's continue this in this moment we know who we're serving we know who we're serving let's keep praising him let's keep magnifying him Lift your hands all over this house. There's such a powerful presence of God here in this place. Oh, can you feel it? Can you feel him moving on your heart today? Oh, I can feel him in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And you invite me to sit down at your table. That you are good and you are always faithful. Yes, he is to welcome me. 
give him our worship from our heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. Because your promises are true. And you never, you never step away from what you promised to do. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I'm going to turn your attention today. The Lord wants to help us with some things in our life. How many are thankful for that? Thankful for the word of the Lord. Psalm chapter 103. We are going to read. Three passages. Because that's all we're going to talk about. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all things, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy disease. Diseases, plural. Let's stretch forth our hands and thank the Lord for his word that is forever settled. Your opinion is not forever settled. Your current reality is not forever settled. What is forever settled is his word. And that's what we're taking with us today to stand on. What is already forever settled. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to deliver this already settled word. And I pray that the receiver, that your children, that saints and sinners alike would be touched by your word. God, I pray that there would be a manifestation of your power, of your goodness, Lord, that it would reach it would reach into the lowest situations and even into the most elevated situations. God, I pray for your word to 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 push out, to drive out everything that stands in the way. God, I pray that you'd anoint the ear the hearer today to receive this word, to receive your instruction in the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen. 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 Y'all may be seated. If you'll give me a few moments, I believe the Lord wants to give us some help today. And I want to title this, What Are You Blessing? What are you blessing? Verse 1, verse 1, David says, Bless the Lord. And that statement there, there is a comma because in it by itself, we can look at this as something that is a mandate. 
And this bless the Lord, it means to kneel. It means to, to praise, to thank. When we bless the Lord, what we are saying is, I am thankful for you. So when I come here and I begin to say, bless the Lord, what I'm really saying is, God, I am so thankful that I can stand here and, and understand your infinite goodness and your infinite wisdom towards me. I acknowledge you, Lord, as the one who rules and reigns over me. I can say bless the Lord because there is no other God that I'm leaning towards. There is no other, there's, there is no other entity. There is no other thing that I am blessing. I'm blessing you. I'm praising you. And then he said, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. David charges, take this with you today. David charges himself to consider how much God deserves. So verse 1, let's go back up to verse 1. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Somebody, somebody needs to make it personal in your life. When you're thanking the Lord, make it personal. You've done great things for me, God. You've moved mountains for me. You made a way in the wilderness. You caused me to come out of addiction. You caused me to come out of a sin. You caused me to come out of an ungodly lifestyle. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me. Somebody get this in your spirit. All that is within me, oh my soul, I'm not going to sit on my praise. I'm not going to sit on my gratitude. All that's within me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Not just externally. Listen to me. Not just externally. Some praise is external, out of obligation, lip service, a response to a leader. Some praise is just to get the pastor off your back. Praise the Lord, everybody. There's no heart in it at all. This is not what David was talking about. David wasn't talking about he was charging himself, all that is within me is going to bless the Lord. It's, I'm going to bless the Lord. Mm. Now, let me tell you this. This is an area we must pay constant attention to. You must pay constant attention to your praise, to your worship. Because you could be wasting your time if your heart's not invested you can be wasting your time if you're not really considering all the good things that God has done in your life because there ought to be something that generates gratitude and thanksgiving. It ought to just flow out easily out of my mouth. Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not who I used to be so I can praise the Lord easy. Why? Because I, 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 I'm in a place right now where I recognize who I was and the mess that I, that I was living in and how he brought me out and he brought me here into the church and now I have hope that I never had before. So you know what? All that's within me, I'm going to bless his name. 
got to be constantly aware of your praise. You got to be constantly aware of, you know what? What are you doing? What are you saying? Is it even registering with you? Isaiah 29 and 13. Now, I want to read this to you in the Christian Standard Bible version. Don't throw stones at me. Uh, but I like the way that this said it. Listen, the Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service. Yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. Pentecost, Pentecostals, hear me today. You don't need a cheerleader. We don't need somebody to tell us to worship God. We don't need to, somebody to establish rules on how we worship him, how we approach him, because your situation is different than mine. I don't know where you were, but when you see me up here pacing and jumping up and down and waving my hands, uh, you weren't there the night that he rescued me, that he saved me, so I refuse to sit on my praise. I refuse to let somebody else tell me what I need to do. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, that's within me. Oh, that's within me. My praise should not be dependent on a man to tell me how and when. You hear me, Brother Ed? Whenever you feel it, get it. Don't wait for the opportune time because we can have church and people and people can cut, cut a rug uh, because everybody's in a different situation in their life. And God responds to your needs and he'll tell you things specifically for your need. If you'll step out, if you'll listen, if you'll just get up and walk around, God's telling you to do something. You, you can't wait on me to give you that direction. If God's dealing with you to get up and walk around, I'm not going to say you're out of order because, listen, there is a God who deals with us specifically. Oh, my soul. I'm not going to let man. Now, there's a difference between standing up and showing out in your flesh. Don't get me wrong. But if God is telling you the keys to your victory in a situation, in a service, then you get up and you respond to that. If he's telling you to come down to the altar at any point, listen, we're going to preach, uh, we're going to get through it, uh, but we're not going to just like bypass the fact that you have responded to the Lord. We got to respond to him because he knows where we are. When you consider what you give, do you ever think, soul, you could do better than this? Anyone ever think that, soul, you got more in the tank than this? You got more to be thankful than this? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you so so focused on what's convenient for you, what's comfortable for you? Soul, worship God. Worship God. You know, some days when I say, I mentioned it at the at very beginning, the, some, sometimes the accomplishment is the days. And we look into ourselves and we say, so you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to come out of this. You're not going to go back. You're not going to go backward. You're going forward. You're putting one foot in front of the other, not behind. We are not retreating. We're moving forward. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. You know what? I'm going to generate my praise today 
because I believe I've got more to give him. When I say all that is within me, I better feel something change. I better feel my heart rate elevate. I better hear my voice begin to crack. Why? Because that's all that's within me. I will bless his name. I'm not trying to be cute and play patty cake. I'm fighting to get through every day of my life. I'm fighting hell to get through every day. I'm fighting the resistance. I'm fighting down and unbelief. I'm fighting the past of failures. I'm fighting it all. So I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm going to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me. Oh, my soul. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. We're not going to be superficial. We're not going to be superficial in our praise and worship. Uh, We're not going to be surface level only. We're getting into the deep. Uh, We're going into the deep place uh, where we recognize if it had not been for God. Uh, when I worship him, I want to be in the spirit and in truth. Uh, not on Sunday and Wednesday when I'm expected to. Uh, oh, soul, your lifestyle is worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. I shall praise his name continually. It shall be in my mouth. Because this is what I was created for. So you're created for more. You're created for more than just what we do here. You're created for worship. You're created for fellowship with God. You were created to worship him. Listen, David's writing calls out all who think they can get by with the minimum. Are we giving him the minimum or the maximum? Do you ever feel good about your efforts when you go home? Like, oh, man, I really gave the Lord all he's worthy of. I really blessed his name. Or or are we not even thinking about that? Our question is, at the end of the day, did I give him the minimum? Did I give him what's expected of me? Or did I give him what's worthy, what he's worthy of? Did I praise him in accordance to who he, he is? So you can do better than this. Let's try this again. He, 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 goes, he goes and does it again. But this time he changes a little bit. But verse 2, verse 2, we see this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David writes, but what is known, he, he, he writes by what is known as parallelism. And for those who don't know that that means, uh, uh, the simple definition is thought reinforcement.
David's words indicate to the reader sometimes we need to reinforce his word in our hearing. Oh, you didn't hear me, soul. You didn't hear me. I'm not going to let this thing just kind of blow over. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to be selective in our hearing. But if we'll say it again, maybe, maybe this time the soul will hear. Soul, you're going to bless the Lord today. You're going to bless his holy name. You're going to magnify his name. Your flesh might not hear you the first time because its mind is set on being lazy. Our default nature is lazy. And sometimes we come into the church and we're like, ooh, it's too cold or it's too warm. We need the right temperature so we can be lukewarm. I need to be comfortable. I don't need to break a sweat. I want to come in and kick my feet back. Be entertained. So let's try this again. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And forget not all his benefits. We're not going to forget how. Listen, we're not going to forget how we got here. We're not going to forget who brought us out. It wasn't because we were special. It wasn't because we had the right ideas. We had the right opinions. It was because of him. And only because of him we can stand here and say, I'm in the company of the redeemed. I'm in the company of the rest of the ones that God saved. The, the ones that God showed his mercy to. I, I'm, not, I'm not in the midst uh, uh, by myself saying, I'm the only one. No, there's a whole cloud of witnesses that will declare of his faithfulness. That will declare, I should have been dead. I should have been lost but I refuse to sit on my praise I will bless the Lord oh my soul Morgan whoever that is that's all the credit this writer gave said this the one value of these opening words is that they show us that worship is not involuntary, automatic. It calls for the coordination of all our power. The sanctuary is not a lounge, a place of relaxation. We should enter it with all the powers of personality arrested, arranged, dedicated. Then we may render a service of praise that is worthy and acceptable. The sanctuary is not a lounge for any of us. And we should come in here and get beside our personalities. Well, my personality says I don't need to worship God that way. That's when your personality needs to be surrendered. You, you got to use the power of the spirit that's been given to you to bring your thoughts into captivity. He said, I don't want people to see me out of control. Brother Zach, we don't want to see you running around here. Because you know what that does? It makes somebody else feel like uh, they're not giving it enough. Sit down, Bartimaeus. Nobody wants to see you. Hey, run. Every chance you get, run. Don't stop running. 
And church, you've been living for God all these years. You better start running. You better be thankful because what he blessed you with, he can take it away from you. If you don't have the gratitude, I'm going to stay where I am because I still believe I'm going to bless the Lord. Troy, I heard you back here running. Hey, if you're locked in a seat, run anyways. I'm telling you, things would change if if people come to our church and we literally were running the aisles and we literally were giving God everything we have. What's going on with these people? Oh, oh, let me tell you. Let me pause to tell you. Oh, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And then you'll understand. I used to be a drunk. I used to be a drug addict. But one day, the Lord reached into my life and brought me out. I used to be lost and on my way to a devil's hell. But let me tell you what God did for me. So when you see me up here, it's not a show. It's a demonstration of my gratitude, of his worth. He means so much to me. He means so much to me. When we get here on any day, our goal should not be entertainment, relaxation, or fellowship. We should not be comfortable or even concerned about our comfort. We should be concerned about being half-hearted, lukewarm, ungrateful, unrepentant, unwilling to give more, unwilling to move, unwilling to worship, unwilling to humble ourselves. We should be more concerned with how we have uh, left ourselves in a place of complacency. We should be more focused on what we're not doing. I should be more concerned about not opening my mouth and showing God gratitude when he's been nothing but good to me. I shouldn't be unwilling to address unforgiveness in my life because he's forgiven me. I shouldn't be unwilling to address mediocrity in my life because he pulled me from the depths. We should be more concerned with how we have let ourselves do the minimum. Self, when I go home and I didn't give God everything, I had to give myself a little speech. But if I can't, but if I can't detect it, then I'll just go home and flip the TV on. 
and not even think twice about what I didn't do at church today. So you did not bless the Lord with everything that you have. You got to do better than this. You got to do better than this. Because look, listen to this. I'm going to read this again. We should be more concerned with how we have let ourselves do the minimum while simultaneously proclaiming that's all he's worthy of. Because that's what we do. When we sit on our praise, all we're doing is telling him that's all you're Forget not all his benefits. And these are some of them. Verse 3. This is where I told you. We're going to go through this chapter, but I want to take it slow. We're not going to do it today. We're going we're to spend time in this chapter. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thy diseases? He has forgiven you of all your perversity. Every wicked thing you have thought, done, all of your depravity has been forgiven. If we really live our life with true repentance, we will always look for a reason to thank and praise Him. If my life is truly repentant, I'm not going to desire Egypt. I'm going to long for the promise. I'm going to long for the promised land. I'm going to long to spend time in his presence. A true repentant heart will say, we're going to be thankful because he's forgiven all my iniquities. Repentance is not just what happened in the past. It's turning from everything. It's turning from everything. Listen to me. You don't stop repenting because you're born again. You are now required to live a life of true repentance. Listen, listen to this. He shows me in the present and when I know he is dealing with me to cleanse me and give me victory over it, bless the Lord, oh my soul, I'm going to repent. Instead of focusing on your past mistakes, focus on your present day situation. And when God begins to deal with your wicked heart about something, you repent. Why? Because I'm going to repent for all of my days. It's not just what I did. It's what I'm doing now and what I will do. I must be open and ready to repent at everything God shows me. Everything God deals with you about. Sometimes we're so wicked, we want to tell God there's nothing wrong with me. That's wickedness. That's, that really is depravity. I'm not wicked. I don't have anything wrong with me. Then why won't you repent? Why won't you, why won't you turn away from the thing I'm pointing at? I want, I, want to, I want to share something with you while my wife was teaching. This came to me. We can, we can move forward when we deal with what he shows us. 
we can stay we can stay there until we deal with it sometimes sometimes people want a new word they want a fresh word and they don't they don't they won't deal with the word that's been sitting there for weeks we can't expect God to give us a different thing when he's dealing with our right now. I'm telling you, when the, when the Lord brings inspiration and he moves through this vessel of clay that's weak and frail and inferior, I can't do it. But when God touches your situation, it's the spirit of the living God reaching for you. You better respond and deal with it or else, or else you're just going to sit there with it at your feet. And God won't do anything else for you until you pick it up and deal with it. That's called growth. That's called true repentance. Okay, God, this unforgiveness, I'm bringing it to this altar. This, this perversion, I'm bringing it to this altar. This pride, I'm bringing it to this altar. Uh, listen, God, I want to grow in you. I'm tired of looking at this thing. I'm tired of looking at these obstacles. And now I'm going to get victory over them. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You have forgiven all my iniquities. I wish somebody could just break the sound of the atmosphere by a cry that says, God, I need you. How do I want out? Tired of playing games. Tired of making everyone seem like everything's okay. I'm tired of portraying myself as a spiritual person when inside I'm afflicted with disease. When inside there's sickness, there's iniquity, there's transgression. Listen, what the Lord wants to do, he wants to mend, he wants to cure, he wants to heal all of my diseases. Listen here to me, brother and sister, you got a disease in your life, you got wickedness in your life, brother, sister, uh, diseases refer to maladies, uh, sickness, disease, infirmities, afflictions, uh, disorder, come on, God wants to mend you from your disorder, he wants to mend, he wants to deliver you from, from your fear, he wants to Quiet the storm in your life. Help us. 
I want, to, I want to close this out so we can let God uh, reestablish some things in our life. Listen, it's almost like we bless our maladies. Instead of blessing the Lord, I bless my maladies. Bless my maladies, O oh my soul. Sing the praises of my disease and my disorder, my sickness, my infirmity, my sin. Because when God deals with us about something, we cover it instead of Him. We cover our own sin. Like we can. So, in essence, when we reject or we resist God, we're saying, I'll cover my own sin, Lord. I'm diseased. I'm riddled with sickness, but I'm going to cover it myself. I'm going to bless my maladies. I'm going to bless my infirmities. I'm going to bless my wickedness and perversion. I'm going to bless these things because I'm trying to cover them myself. When we can sit in the house of God and feel like that nobody else knows, we can cover, we can cover ourselves. And when we cover it, what we are doing is blessing it. When God deals with you right where you are and you resist it, what you're saying is, I'm covering it, Lord. There's no need to respond. I got everything covered. I've blessed it already by not touching it. Now let me, let me give you a moment of sobriety, of clarity. Every altar call should be standing room only. Well, that's pretty brazen for you to say. Are you in need? This is this is just me being a little pointed here. Forgive me for this, but how many times has God dealt with you about something in a service and you did nothing with it? You walked out with it because you you tied you tied your hands closed. You tied them behind your back. And instead of embracing what God is trying to bring deliverance to your life about, you, 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 you walked out with, you walked out bound and afflicted. But then you come back and what does he do again? He addresses it again and deals with you about it again. And he says, if you'll just move and you'll come here and let me work, my plan is to not watch you, watch you squander in this thing. My plan and purpose is to, is to heal all thy diseases. But you are blessing them.
So every altar call should be standing room only because I know he deals with you about uncovering it. But out of pride and fear and insecurity, you cover it. And when you do this, your insecurity becomes God. It becomes what you bless. Do you want to bless your insecurity? Or do you want to bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me? Who forgiveth? Who heal? Who covers? Or am I going to bless my fear? stand I want you to know something but David David wrote so many powerful things in Psalm 32 and 1 he says blessed is he whose transgression whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I will be blessed when I remove my covering from my sin and I bless the Lord, oh my soul. What are you going to do? What are you going to bless? Who are you going to bless? This altar's open.
this you need to find the strength and the courage to, to do it for yourself so so often we come down here and we we expect to be surrounded we expect to be surrounded by people of like precious faith but sometimes it takes us digging it into the carpet ourselves and digging it out ourselves I will bless the nobody else is around. I will bless the Lord when I can't call my brother or my sister. I will bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Oh, that's with it. Sometimes you just got to dig it out. the climate's not right it's not suitable for digging sometimes you gotta go beyond the comfort and dig it out well it's not convenient for me sometimes you gotta go past convenience and dig it out 
everybody else will. I'm not going to do what everybody else will. I will bless the Lord. If nobody else will fight, I will fight. I will praise. I will show God the praise he's worthy of. Because of what he is to me. of who he is to me. All I have is broken. Hallelujah. isn't who you're going to be. So this is not who God wants you to be. So you can do better than this.
to tell you what I believe the Lord is reminded me just now taking me back to that place where where I was talking about repentance and the Lord being in me spiritual growth. The more things I let God deal with me about, the stronger I'm going to become in my faith and my confidence in Him. Bring it all to me, Lord, and let me If I am bitter, bring it to me. Let me deal with it so I can grow. I got unforgiveness. If I got disease or sickness in my life because of what I've done, God, let me see it. Repent and turn away from it that I may gain victory. try to cover it, I'm still naked. I need him to cover it. I need him to cover it. There's a church in in New York called Brooklyn Tabernacle. Are you familiar with that church? They got, they've had albums, recordings year after year at Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Beautiful, classic, classic sound to their choir. They're, they're a Pentecostal church. They're not a... I'm not sure what they believe as far as doctrinally. But I do know this. On their 
and, and, and Jim Simbala is the pastor of that church. He wrote a book called Standing Room Only. When they have prayer meeting, they're standing room only. That says a lot about the culture of that church. Are we a church that believes in the power of prayer? In the power of approaching God and laying things at His feet. If that is our culture, then why is our prayer meeting so small? I would like to think that those who have to drive them far away that they're praying with us at that time, but I don't know that. I think it would behoove us to pray together and to let God know this matters. Not for not just for me, but for my children and anyone that's connected to me and knows who I am and knows that I serve the Lord. They ought to know that this gathering is so valuable and important to me because this is where God deals with me. Every time I think about that church in the standing room only, I get so I get so pricked in my heart over it. What's so dynamic about their prayer meeting? When they have such a dynamic choir, hundreds of people in their choir, yet it's not necessarily just what happens when the choir is singing, but on off night when people are just gathering to pray, they're packed out as if it really does matter. We can pack stadiums, we can pack events, but why aren't we packing the prayer room? believe God has a purpose for High Point. And there is value to fellowship. There is value to getting together and laughing. There's value to all, all of those things. But the only thing that's going to change the culture that we live around is going to be how we conduct ourselves when we're together, when we worship. And if we're giving God everything that we have. I, I love that people come here to this church and they feel love and compassion and they feel welcome. But more than that, I want them to feel 
empowered to lay everything at this, at this altar. Because until they do this, their life won't change. And that's what we want. We want people's life to change. We want people to experience freedom. We want people to be so transparent that they can come to the altar and receive deliverance without anyone thinking, thinking about them or making them feel funny. Or this is, a, this is a church where you can be restored, and we believe that. And I'm going to preach that until I can't preach it anymore for whatever reason. It's going to be what I say. I want to just put a couple things in your ear. Uh, July the 8th, Saturday, we need all able bodies. You're going to have your kids because there's a ladies' day, a section one ladies' day that has been announced for months. So it's the fifth. It's the fifteenth. Is that what it is? I mean, I guess I could drag El, Ellery and Annabelle here, and y'all can do something with the other kids. I'll, I'll bring my kids. No biggie. So we're trying to prepare for more parking out here. So there's a lot of work that needs to go on. And there's some other stuff we got to do around the buildings, pressure washing, cleaning the sides of the building where uh, Brother Kay and Brother Brian came and did some major work this weekend. And did you see, did you all see the, the bushes removed? What a lovely sight that is. Well, it left some unsightliness behind. That we need some elbow, elbow grease to kind of take that off. But uh, we're going to try to do that on the 8th and then the 15th, both weekends. So, <clears throat> yeah. All these ladies' days. <laughs> you know what? We're going to schedule one. We're going to schedule one with, with uh, Bob Ross. All right. All good things. Okay. I love and appreciate you There's all. a mowing schedule, too, though. Don't forget yes, to mention yes, the mowing, mowing schedule. Yes, mowing schedule. You'll notice the long uh, <coughs> papers on the wall back there that have little squares on them. Well, there's numbers and days on that. So we need, we need men or ladies, if you'd like to get behind a mower, you might have to go through... Might have to go through some training with that. Um, <laughs> because over here, there's some dangerous territory. If you're not familiar with this slope over here, you could get yourself in trouble. Ask Brother Brian. <laughs> uh, but we, if you want to come, if you want to, if you want to get somebody together, it's it's so much better when you can get two people to do it. So if you can get a buddy, say, hey, can you mow on this date? Go fill your name on there, and we'll make it easy for everybody. Yeah, that's a good idea. 
Say, hey, I got something fun for us to do for the next two and a half hours. And then, and then we'll go and have some real fun. I'll take you out to, for lunch. So, anyways. Mowing and then help on the July the 8th and the 15th. And uh, whenever, whatever you can do to get in there to help us out, we'd uh, appreciate that. Amen. Well, love y'all. Keep fighting a good fight of faith. We'll see you. We'll see you Tuesday. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.